Welcome to Holy Conundrums Podcast. My name is Everett Fritz. We really appreciate you listening in on our podcast today. We got a great guest. His name is Kyle Hyman, and he is the Chief Content Officer for Spoke Street Media, who actually hosts our podcast. So we're really grateful for Spoke Street Media. Kyle speaks all over the country as well. He's with a, a group called Popple. He speaks at Steubenville Youth Conferences. He got a huge background in ministry. So I'm really grateful to have Kyle with us today. Welcome, Kyle. Excited to be here, Everett. This, uh, this is one of my favorite shows. Oh, you're just saying that because you're on the show, but thank you. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, but I have. I've listened to every episode. They're all great. Oh, great. Well, thankful that you are uh, joining us today. So you work in media. I mean, your primary job is Spoke Street Media. You work in communicating content, and hence the name Chief Content Officer. But as Christians, we are called to spread the gospel to others. In uh, Peter's letter, 1 Peter 3.15, I believe it is, it says, always have reason to give, I should probably have that in front of me if I'm going to quote it, <laughs> <laughs> but always, always be prepared to give people a reason for your hope, to paraphrase it. But then it, it follows that up with, uh, but do so with, with love and, and patience and kindness or something to that effect. You know, I want to ask you about communicating the faith to others and why it's so important to do so with joy, but not sacrifice the truth at, at the same time. But I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts on that. Well, I think, first of all, that St. Peter quote, it, it implies, first of all, that we are hopeful, right? It's like, if you have to have a reason for your hope, then you're implying that people already realize that you're a hopeful person. And when they ask you, why are you so hopeful that you would have a reason for that? And so, first of all, I think when we look at Catholics, look at Christians, like, are we hopeful? Are we joyful? First of all, like, is that the first, or are we like angry and judgmental and condemning? Is that the impression that people get from Christians? So I think first, yeah, we have to be hopeful. We have to, we are an Easter people, right? And so we're an Easter people. Hallelujah is our song. So we should be rejoicing. We should be happy. We should be joyful and hopeful. But also, we can recognize that there's tragedies in the world and that there's sin and that we have a Redeemer and that's a good thing. But yeah, when we sh- are sharing the truth with people, like it's truth and charity. My bishop's motto is truth and charity. And there was that uh, encyclical from Pope Benedict, Caritas and Veritate, all about truth and charity and how important it is that we can't separate the two, that they are the same. So this is something I've been working on. It's like a Venn diagram where we have truth and charity and where they overlap is like kind of where we think we need to live in that overlap. But I don't think that that's actually, like it's kind of hard on a podcast to, to draw this out audibly. But I, I don't think that actually works because there is no such thing as truth without charity. And there's no such thing with charity without truth. Like being kind to somebody and lying to them is not being kind. And telling something truthful, but in a hateful way is totally degrading the truth of it. And so I don't think the Venn diagram has three sections, like a section overlap and a section with two individuals. It's just one circle with truth and charity. They both have to exist simultaneously. And we can see where somebody goes to one extreme or the other of being hateful, but saying something that may be true is so harmful and somebody who says, like, it doesn't matter what you believe, and they're very welcoming and inviting, but they're not actually sharing something that's true. Both of those are, are dangerous. 
I know for me, like I'm finding myself right now, just a, a time in my life, I'm pulling away from Christian community. And a big part of that is that I feel like I'm, I'm living in an echo chamber in uh, the Christian community that I'm in. And there's just so much, and perhaps it was exposed by the pandemic and how much, how divisive, something that should have been very unifying. Hey, we're going through this together. But it became very divisive, very political, very quickly. I don't know if that, but it, the thing is, we've been trending in that direction forever. And I know for me, for example, I got to promote my ministry. So hence, you got to be on social media to do so. But I hate social media. Like, I just cannot stand reading it or looking at it to the point where it's like, I am very inconsistent in promoting my ministry because I don't want to be involved in all the infighting that there is on online. I'm sure it's not just me, but the infighting, is it just me or has it increased considerably in the world? Yeah, I, I think it has increased. And one of the things is I think the algorithms, if you will, promote the extremes. And so like if somebody says something that's moderate and like, oh, that's that's very well said, you know, you might like it or something like that. But when somebody spews out some extreme, and it, it, we see this with politics, right? It's like, you've got one extreme or the other. Like there's no like middle ground. There's no, you have to be A or B. You can't, can't be some kind of combination. There's no room for flexibility. So I think that's maybe one of the causes that people are rewarded for having a hot take. And, and I guess in news too, right? Like the news is all like this person is good and the other person is horrible. It's on one side or the other. Like we can't recognize the good and the opposition for some reason. No kidding. And so it has, unfortunately, I think, increased the amount of the, kind of the ugly, really, in humanity. Because for some reason, that's rewarded. Yeah, I think you got 24-hour news cycles that are fighting for ratings. So there's multiple channels. And what gets people's attention? It's not politician does passes a bill that's bipartisan that you know everybody united together on and kumbaya it's like politician says anti-semitic thing and that one politician dominates the news cycle and then they post it online and then there's a comment section so then you get everybody's hot takes on it in the comment section and i think that 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 has spurred so much of the way in which we interact. I mean, you look at Pope Francis can post, uh, like the way this then translates to faith is Pope Francis can post something totally Christian. You couldn't take it out of context if you tried, but he posts it on Twitter. And then if you read the comment section, oh man, inevitably, it doesn't matter what he posts. You could say, Jesus, yeah. God is love, and you will get the most hateful things in the comment section. Yeah, I think also. That whole idea of Christians have become known as what they hate and not what they love. So if you ask somebody that's not Christian, how would you describe a Christian? Like they're against women's rights. They are against anybody that's gay. Like they hate gay people or whatever. Like we have somehow lost this idea of a faith that's based off on love and that love leads us to, we want the truth and what's best for people. And we know that the truth will set them free. But leading with that isn't necessarily the best way to draw somebody in. Mother Teresa probably converted thousands of people. She did that by loving them, not by preaching to them. You know, And her love 
drew them in to want to know more and to learn more and to grow more. And I'm sure she did have great conversations with people that eventually would, led to their conversion. But it was her first interaction with them was just loving them. And no matter who they were, no matter what they believed. And are we doing that as a church? Like the person that's not going to mass and comes for the first time, do they feel loved? Do they feel welcomed? You know, if, if, if my interactions with people, do they see me as a person of, of love? And then we're talking about media, podcasts and stuff. I was doing a show, I do a weekly show with our bishop and um, it was after the Dobbs decision came out and he kind of called an audible. We went into recording. He's like, hey, I want to talk about that. Great. Actually, it was when the leak came out. So the decision wasn't quite there yet. And so we talked about abortion for the whole episode and I wasn't prepared for it, you know, and so we, we went with it. And kind of half of the way through, I realized, what is somebody who's had an abortion thinking of this conversation? And so I asked, I asked a question. I said, for some women, when they hear this decision, it's scary. They've been called murderers and this is a really difficult topic for them. What message do you have for them? And he gave this very beautiful reflection on reconciliation and hope and that you know our past doesn't need to define us. And it was this really great thing. And so we moved that to the beginning of the show. We re-edited it because I wanted to lead with this love and welcoming and hope. And we can get into the truth of what abortion is, but we have to be aware of who might be hearing this story, you know, who might be listening. And is this going to push them away or is it going to draw them in? And so that, that whole leading with love and, and opening with that, I think is important. I know I do a lot of evangelization training or a lot of ministry training with people. And my mode of operation is to say as much as possible, go one-on-one with people and to go out to coffee chats because it defuses. You don't see a whole lot of people arguing, like really getting at each other's throats in a coffee shop, you know, like it, it defuses the situation because it's just not the right environment to be getting at somebody's throat. But the other thing I, I try to train them to do is I say, look, the first question you ask somebody, and I do this literally, if I'm, I'm, I could be meeting with somebody over coffee to talk through logistics on some event that we're putting together. And I'll say, hey, tell me your story. Like if it's the first time I've met the person, I say, before we get into anything, tell me your story. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because it's, it's amazing when you actually get down to people's story, you find out, okay, well, here's why they believe what they believe. Here's why perhaps we have differences. Here's where their woundedness is. It boggles my mind. Nancy Pelosi, we'll use her as an example because she's, sure. a, she's a hot button. She's a very no, prominent no controversy. Catholic. Yes. No, well, no controversy. well, but hey, let's go there. <laughs> you know, she's, she's a prominent Catholic. Yeah. For better, for worse. And she's very vocal about her Catholic faith. And the thing that I think makes people very angry in the Catholic faith with regards to Speaker Pelosi is that she tends to take positions that are contrary to Catholic teaching, but then also qualifies why she supports it with her Catholic teaching, which really gets, gets people in the Catholic faith upset, as you can imagine. But I remember hearing, you know, she's the big topic with her is abortion. And I remember hearing her say something to the effect of, of I've had five children in six years. And she's, I've heard her say that in multiple interviews. And she's like, I know, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, whoa, 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 five children in six years. That's a lot. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a workload. I'm sure there's a story there, but I've never heard somebody when she makes that comment say, Hey, tell me that story. Cause I'm betting that whatever 
challenges. I'm just going to take a guess. As somebody who's been doing evangelization for a while, I'm just going to take a guess that there's a wound there or a story there or a struggle there that contributes to her opinion on abortion. Well, especially a woman with like a, a career aspirations, obviously, like a working woman who obviously has a lot of passion for her work. So I do think there's a lot lost in that. And another thing that you've said in past episodes that I really like is don't answer questions that you weren't asked. Yeah. And I think that goes into the starting with hearing somebody's story, you know, and that's going to lead into conversations about things. But to just launch into things that that people aren't ready to talk about yet, or they're not ready to hear yet. Not that they won't be someday, but... I think there, there's an appreciation we should have with the fact that Jesus journeyed with the apostles. Yeah, he gave a lot of teachings, but he journeys with the apostles. And very frequently, he withholds truth from them because they're not ready for it. Oh, like, right. Yeah. Like you can look at John 6 with the, the bread of life discourse. There's a lot of confusion around what he meant by eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the apostles are confused too. But he doesn't just say, hey, let me explain to you. Here's what's going to happen with the mass, et cetera. He just kind of lets it unfold. And I think a lot of times that gets accused of like watering down the faith, which I yes. think is a funny expression because like I think of if I was giving my kids medicine and it's really strong and I watered it down, but they still get the same amount of medicine. It's just more palatable. Like nobody would say that's a horrible thing. <laughs> like, fine, great. As long as, as long as they got the medicine. It's okay. What people mean by watering down is that you've changed the truth in some way. Like you're presenting some, something that's false in order to appease somebody. I think St. Paul talks about, I fed you milk because you weren't ready for solid foods kind of a thing. You know, like a baby, you don't just like feed it peanut butter right out of the womb. You know, you start with milk and you start working your way up. And with our faith, it's the same way. Like, and that's where the one-on-ones get really helpful because you can address where they are and not try to speak to a group and some people are up here and some people are down here and in their faith journey. And inevitably, you're ignoring a certain percentage of the people whenever you're addressing something in a certain way. I'm curious here because you're, I know your, your background, you've done quite a bit of work with youth before doing Spoke Street Media. And when you work with youth, you have to learn how to, how to do exactly what you're talking about, how to present things in a way that's really not sacrificing the truth, but also it's it's palatable. You can you can receive, and it's a fine art with young people. But have you had an experience working with young people? Either as a, have you done youth ministry? I know you travel the country speaking to young people. Yeah, I, I did parish youth ministry for several years. Okay. Before that, have you had an experience working with a young person, or just working in evangelization in general, where you found that taking a slow approach, listening to their story, etc., contributed to a long term? a long path of conversion for them. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how much of it was me journeying with them versus them being on their own journey. But that's one of the things about doing speak, like traveling, speaking is you don't have those long, it was kind of a trade-off going from a parish youth minister where you do develop relationships and you watch the kids grow up and you go to their graduation parties and stuff like that versus traveling and speaking. Like you go in for a day, talk for an hour and then you never see the people again in your life unless they kind of reach out. But yeah, I think both are good. 
like the big events are, are great opportunities to get a little spiritual boost and there tends to be a little higher energy or better quality of musicians and speakers and things like that. There's like a little bit of a peer pressure of like, oh, everybody else is praying. I'll pray too, kind of a thing. And also like I'm not alone. Go to some of these like national conventions and stuff like that and realize, oh, there's a lot of other Catholic kids out there that are on fire for their faith and I'm not like the weirdo in my school. Well, maybe I am the weirdo in my school, but I'm not not the only weirdo in a school. So those are good. But like you said, the one-on-one, the relationships, like that's where it really happens. Like those can be a spark, but that doesn't that doesn't maintain a fire. For me, it was mostly guys that I connected with. Luckily, I had a ton of volunteers. And so whenever you have that, you can really kind of pair up interests and stuff like, oh, these guys are really into board games or these guys are really into skateboarding or music or whatever. And you kind of pair up volunteers with the kids that are interested in those things. Did you really have teenagers that were into board games? (laughs) Uh, You know what it was? It was like Magic the Gathering kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's popular. Yeah, cards and I don't know. All that stuff is like, I don't get it. Yeah, no, if you're listening and you're like, oh, Magic the Gathering, that's demonic. No, it's not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's uh anyway I, I, that's a whole nother show but there's a i think there's a reality that people go to those events go to those conferences etc but then when they come back to their community because i see it all the time going working in youth ministry for 16 plus years i will go to events with young people and i'll see in other groups during time when you really could be pouring into the relationship because i i always tell people look the best ministry that happens outside of the Eucharist at those places is what's happening after the presentation, not not during it. And I see more and more, I'm seeing leaders like missing those opportunities. It's like a, a well-intentioned parent takes a group, but they have no idea. It's like you're supposed to be pouring into these people in between sessions. Like that's really, really important. But then they come back to their communities, to their parish communities. And if it's this divisive, like very... Like, this is the truth. You need to believe it. This is what we believe, et cetera. I mean, there's potentially a tremendous amount of damage that can do when somebody catches fire and their heart is open for the first time. And then they come back and they receive somebody who who mishandles their heart. That's where it almost becomes like a a good youth minister. I always felt like it was 90% marketing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was always doing flyers and websites and social media and, and like trying to get people to come to events. But really, I feel like a counseling background would be super helpful just to understand where people are coming from and how to address certain topics. I think the good youth ministers that I see have really great relationships and understand like the parent situation or whatever. And, and like they're the person that the kid goes to whenever their life is falling apart. You know, they, they run to the youth minister and say, Hey, I I need prayers or help me through this situation. And hopefully they're directing them to whatever they might actually need as far as real counseling and stuff like that. But there's an art to that of journeying with young people. But it's not just young people. Like we all need it, right? Fortunately, we have been emphasizing this more for, for youth ministry. We've hired youth ministers at a lot of parishes and stuff like that. But Unfortunately, we're not doing that for the young adults, you know, the the college age or young parents journeying with them. You know, they kind of get, it's like you graduate from high school and the church is like, all right, we've given you all the tools necessary. Well, and, and the other thing that goes with that is that 
this is a whole other show too, but I have long said the youth minister, if they are a good one, they should be the highest paid person on the staff because they're hustling and they're the ones who are actually doing things that can change the culture of a whole community. But you're right, like that approach should be taken across the board, not just with young people. I think if you're a person listening right now, let's say you're a person listening right now and I know I was at the Napa conference back in, in July, and I was given a presentation on why young people were leaving the church. And I was presenting this whole idea of like, we need to journey with people. We need to disciple them. I presented what discipleship was, et cetera. Then we did Q&A. And at one point during Q&A, I yelled at everybody. And it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, somebody asked me, they said, how can you identify? It was like, there's all kinds of ministries here. Who actually has a culture of discipleship? And I said, ask their leaders to name three, the first names of three people that they're personally mentoring. And if they can't, they don't have a culture of discipleship. And I said, you could ask that of bishops, you could ask that of priests, you can ask that of anybody. Like th- there is this concept of journeying with or, or being able to work with somebody that you should be able to identify, here are the people I'm making disciples of. And this is when I yelled at him. I said, Jesus gave a command to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's not optional. Like if you count yourself among his follower, you need to be doing that. So if you can't name a person that you're doing that with, you need to get your butt to confession. And I said it pretty aggressively. But like if you're a listener right now and you're like, I can't identify who it is that I'm mentoring, what advice would you give to somebody so that they don't become this divisive person, but actually they are working and being fruitful to actually help and journey with somebody? I think what you said of starting with, tell me your story, I think is great. Before I answer that, so you say three, what would you say is a minimum and maximum number of people that you should be discipling? If you're meeting with them regularly, just from experience, I wouldn't do more than five. Honestly, one is sufficient, especially if you're a busy person. I would say I've got long games going with like a whole bunch of people. Those are people that I'm, that I'm kind of sporadically having conversations with every few years. That's a whole nother story. but. I've just noticed in terms of having an intentional relationship, I can't do more than five. Well, and I suppose it's different if you're a professional minister. Like if that's your job as a youth minister or a pastor or something like that, like that should be taking up a chunk of your working time versus if you've got another job. But yeah, so I think understanding somebody's story, knowing like dreams, goals, aspirations, passions, those kind of things, the youth minister that I took over for, he went into counseling. And uh, so he was, it was kind of a great mentor. One of the things that he would say to me is, what are you passionate about? Like that was one of his like opening lines. Like you're saying, like, tell me your story. He would say, what are you passionate about? Like if you just met somebody, it catches people off guard. Because like, I don't know, I want to be an engineer. Like, yep, are you passionate about that? Or is that just a career? You know, and it made people think about, what am I passionate about? And hopefully... Like at least one of those things is our faith. But I think understanding like what makes people tick and what, how can I help you get to where you want to go? Or more importantly, where God is calling you to go and helping that discernment process. I, I think discernment is something that we, we think about that in context of like a, a lifelong commitment to marriage or religious life or priesthood or something like that. But we underrate the importance of discernment in our day-to-day life, in our jobs, in our family, you know, having children or where we're going to live, you know, what kind of house we buy or even like 
buying a new car and stuff like that. Like really thinking about how is God calling us to live as a as a family or as a as an individual, you know. And so I think journeying with somebody includes helping them with that discernment process and not just making decisions, but based off of what I want, but discerning what God is calling you to. Yeah, I think I'm just now as we're talking, I'm thinking around like how I would try to sh- help somebody shift their mindset. And I, I realized just now as we're talking, like wherever you get angry, wherever you find yourself getting judgmental, change that to curiosity. And I can, I can recall, because you said that your mentor would lead with the question of what are you passionate about, which is curiosity, you know? Hey, tell me your story. That's curiosity. Well, and that's what you're saying with Pelosi, right? Like you're angry about her not living out the faith publicly, but you're turning that into curiosity. Like, tell me your story. Like, what is leading you to this? You know, and if you could have that conversation with her, what kind of doors is that going to open up? And who knows where that could lead? Yeah, I think I'm recalling very frequently, I'll talk to ministry leaders, particularly those who work with young people, and they get frustrated about parents. And the parents drop their kids off for sacramental prep and they don't come to mass. And so it's like, well, why are they doing that? Clearly the faith has some importance to them. Otherwise they wouldn't be dropping their kid off. But I talk to the ministry leaders and they get really frustrated. Like these parents don't care. These parents, now assumptions get made, right? Right. And so I know that I will frequently say to them, I'm like, well, have you tried asking the parents why they're not at mass? They're like, oh, maybe I'll do a survey. That's a good idea. No, no, no. Don't do a survey. Take one out to coffee and say, hey, I'm just curious, like, what do you want me to do for you? Because I don't see you at Mass. Like, what's going on in your life? And it's amazing to me when somebody actually does that, how frequently they find out, oh, this person's struggling with X, Y, and Z. Sure. And now I realize we got to get them help and support. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, things changed for them. You know, it's, it's amazing what curiosity can do when you actually start to hear somebody's story. Well, it goes back to two phrases that always got thrown around in youth ministry. One is earning the right to be heard. And what goes along with that is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like both of those imply the first thing that before we start getting into truth, before we start getting into what I know, it's first caring about the individual. It's first having that curiosity. It's earning the right to be heard by, by establishing trust. And that could be, you know, two minutes to do, or it could be two years to do, depending on the situation. You know, you might be listening for a long time before you get the chance to talk, but we're pretty bad at listening because we have so much we want to say. <laughs> well, but it also changes what you communicate with regards to truth. Because right. going back to the example of the parent, you might think, I got to communicate to them, here's why mass is important. And then you find out that the reason why they're not at mass is because they're caring for a, a dying relative or something and they have to be there on Sundays, and that's their shift or whatever the case may be. You're like, that changes the whole conversation. Whereas you could have spent your entire time saying, okay, here's why mass is important. And that's not the felt need of the individual. And so it's just going in one ear out the other. It's like trying to teach a kid about sacraments when they don't believe in God. Why do they care? You know? Yeah. And there's this practical things, but there's also just wounds, right? Like I, I can't walk into there because a priest told me this one time and I've never been able to forgive him for that. Like, all right, let's talk about that. We've been talking for a while. Piece of advice. So, you know, parting shots for listeners who, who are interested in, okay, how do I actually stop being divisive and become more effective in communicating the gospel? If they're taking, taking seriously 
the call to go and make disciples. Give me three things that they should be doing. Oh, man. So one is prayer, right? Like pray about like, how should I be interacting on social media? How should I be talking with a friend or a stranger or whatever? One is before I post something, before I record a podcast, before I, I share something, like who would this hurt is something that like, I've been thinking about a lot. Like who would be hurt by this? And when I think about Jesus... And like he, he was judgmental sometimes, but that was always to like the Pharisees, like these religious leaders, to the tax collector, to the prostitute, like he's compassionate and to the religious leaders, he's harsh. So if I'm putting out something and I'm like, oh, somebody who has had an abortion is going to be hurt by this. That's a problem. If my thing is, oh, the Priests and bishops might be hurt by this. Less of a problem, probably. <laughs> you know, like, not, not that we want to throw them under the bus or anything like that, but if we're being critical of church leadership, that's okay. If we're critical of people that are struggling with church teaching, like we've got to do that with compassion. So what is that? Two things. Third thing is, yeah, not everything that we think needs to be shared. <laughs> not everything that we think is, is funny or is correct needs to be shared. Because I think a lot of times when we're stuck in our bubble, like you're talking about this echo chamber, we can see something, think it's funny and share it, whatever. And again, going back to the that second one is like, but who might be pushed away by this? Bishop Barron talks about doing things in a winsome way. Like, are we evangelizing in, in an effort to win somebody over, like to to attract them to the faith? Or are we putting a dividing line and saying, hey, if you're on this side of the line, we're going to make you holier. And if you're on this side of the line, we're going to make you hate the church. Like that's not, I don't think that's what, what Jesus did. I think he was, he was always trying to push people up the ladder. And so sometimes you have to, you have to go below the person to push them up. Not, not that we stoop into sin, but as the approach goes. I like to remind people, I, very frequently we talk about heaven with St. Peter at the gates, letting people in, he's got his list, etc. I hate that imagery because, <laughs> because there's, there's a real, I'm like, heaven is not a gated community. Hmm. It, it's, not, it's not supposed to be. The goal isn't to keep people out. The goal is to let people in. The gates are to hell, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The gates are to heaven. Yeah. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But. Yeah. So we do well to remember that those who feel that they are not welcome, we're supposed to make them feel welcome. And that tends to be a first step to healing wounds and different things that are in people's lives. All right, Kyle, we're at the end of our time together, but promote your stuff. Give us your merch table. Yeah, we're, we're just working with a lot of different podcasts at spokestreet.com. I also putting those podcasts on radio. So if you know a Catholic radio station that is ready for a little refresher in some of their content, let us know and we'll get shows like Holy Conundrums on Catholic radio stations by putting together some podcast blocks that, that work for radio. And uh, yeah, spokestreet.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. Cool. Kyle, I will echo, Spokestreet's got a ton of good content on it, particularly podcasts is what they do. So check out Spokestreet and you'll see just a ton of great, great Catholic podcasting that is out there to consume. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Kyle, for joining us today.
Thank you, Ever. This has been fun.